Hey, hockey fans, I am so excited to be here. The Vancouver Canucks defeat the San Jose Sharks 10 to 1. My name is Clay Emo. I am Canuck Clay, and this is Game Over Vancouver on SDPN, the Steve Dangle Podcast Network. Now that I've got all my tech issues sorted out, maybe that's why I need a guest, like a co host, like a Kaya or a Sam or a Parker, but it's just me tonight, all by my lonesome, to wrap up this amazing game. Canucks are now 7. Two and one, speaking of 10, after 10 games, they are now five games over 500. They are still in second place, keeping pace with the Kings. Kings won tonight as well, beating Ottawa. So the Canucks are still in second place in the Pacific Division, and all is right in the world. So this is what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to wrap up this. I'm going to talk about this game. I will talk about all 10 goals because I made sure that I did remember all 10 of them. going to talk about some other things that I noticed in, in terms of ice time, in terms of Quinn Hughes, and in terms of Rick Tockett, in terms of uh, Thatcher Demko, no shutout, no challenge. We're going to talk about all those things, and then that will kind of lead into the second segment where I'm just going to talk about the Rick Tockett effect tonight. And then finally, we'll wrap up with our Game Over Presser where I will entertain some questions from all of you. So you're welcome to leave questions in the chat. You're welcome to answer your own questions in the chat, whatever you want to do. But um, I will save most of the questions and most of the, of the interaction until the end of the stream uh, tonight in, in, in our third segment. So I hope that works for all of you. So once again, welcome. I invite you right away to subscribe to the SDPN channel. On this channel, we do all seven Game Over shows. That's all seven Canadian cities. So make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you hit the notification button so you know that when we are going live. But here's a hint. It's within five to 10 minutes after every game that a Canadian team plays in. And finally, what I want you to do is like the video. Like the fact that we are together on a Thursday night. Like the fact that if you're a Canucks fan, the Canucks... Um, yeah, they won 10 to 1, and we should be very happy with with the, the result tonight. So, so much going on tonight. Let's break it all down. But first, I want to start with a story. I played junior high basketball at a small school in Richmond, British Columbia, called Jane Burnett. We won our first game in the grade 8, so we were 1-0, and then we proceeded to lose the next nine games of grade 8, all 10 games in grade 9, and all 10 games in grade 10. So we are 1-29 and 29 to, for our three-year career. The very last game, so we are very bad. So picture us equals San Jose Sharks. Every other team equals Vancouver Canucks. The very last game of the season, we went against Palmer, the number one, one ranked team in our, in our city. And we had a, a bet going all year, because remember, we're very bad, that if we got 40 points in a game, our sponsor teacher would throw us a pizza party because we could not get the 40 points a game. So it's the last game of the year. Palmer did not bring their first stringers. They did not bring their second stringers. They brought their third stringers, guys 11 through 15. And with a few minutes left in the game, they were beating us something like 96 to 36. Somehow we scored, made it 96 to 38. Now remember, remember that 40-point pizza par uh, promise. So 96 to 38, Palmer inbounds the ball. They place the ball, the basketball, right in the middle of the key. And then all five Palmer guys run off the court. So we're like, cool, cool, cool. So one of our guys picks up the ball. He tries to lay it in and he misses. Remember, no defense. He gets his own rebound, of course. He tries to lay it again and then he misses again. So finally, our, our best player, I think I was the second best player, but our best player this, said, this is ridiculous. I think he swore too. Took the ball from Aaron and our friend Dave finally laid it in. Now it's 96 to 40. We're jumping around, running around the court like we had just won the NBA finals. 
And then, uh, you know, the, I think we called a timeout. They called a timeout. I think the ref maybe called a timeout. And then finally, the Palmer guys came back on the court, played the last few minutes out. I think they beat us 112 to 40. So yes, we did not score another, another point in the basket for the rest of the game. What's my point, my friends? Well, I think other teams felt sorry for us. I think other teams felt sorry for us. And we knew that because I guess our sponsor teacher told the Palmer coach about this 40-point pizza promise. And that's why his five players, not only did he bring his, his five worst players, who are probably still better than our five best players, but they actually vacated the court just so we could lay it in, uh, even though it took us three chances to do so. What's my point? My point is, and I tweeted this tonight, when I was watching tonight's game, that's what it felt like. It brought me back to grade 10, you guys. Except I wasn't the Canucks. We, Jay and Burnett Breakers, were the San Jose Sharks. And I, I don't know about you. Uh, I'm not a professional athlete, obviously. I'm still recovering from my ruptured Achilles tendon. But as a fan, I'm curious. Put in the chat. Did you actually... <laughs> Thanks for all the pizza emojis. <laughs> Honestly, as a fan, put this in the chat. I'm not going to read them all out, but did you actually feel sorry for the Sharks? I'm really curious. I'm not saying that the Canucks players should feel sorry. They're all making good money. They're all doing their dream job. And this is a professional league. And San Jose was a lot better than Vancouver for many, many years. So I'm not talking about, do you think the Canucks players felt sorry for San Jose? I'm asking you, Canucks fans, hockey fans, did you, as a fan feel bad for the San Jose Sharks. I really want to know. Put it in the chat. Uh, I see I see no. I see yes. I see, yeah, only for... Hey, Kaya, my co-host is in here. Um, Robert, uh, SDPN technical extraordinaire is in here. Many people in here, which is awesome. But tell me, be honest. Did you feel bad for the San Jose Sharks? Talk amongst yourselves. You're going to argue amongst yourselves. But uh, I'm going to try and break down all these goals. And I just wanted to open up with that pizza party story. Because... I, once upon a time, in junior high, over 35 years ago, no, no, it wasn't that long ago. No, I was, uh, yeah, 33 years ago, I felt the pain. I know what it's like to get whomped and to look for any gleam of silver lining. I love the way you guys are. Great, great response in the chat about whether or not you did feel sorry for the San Jose Sharks at all. I'm not sure if I did. I must have a little bit if I was if I spent two minutes making that that uh, four tweet long uh, story recap of my my basketball escapades. So let's break this game down. I'm going to go through the goals and really I can only spend an average of about thirty to forty five seconds on each goal, honestly, or else I'm going to go until tomorrow. And no one wants a two hour stream. In fact, all the game over hosts were, were the ones that are still up. Uh, we're, we're joking around that this could be a three or four hour stream if I do a detailed breakdown analysis of every goal. So let's start it off. Brock Besser starts off on the power play because San Jose takes a two-minute minor, a double minor, excuse me, Nico Sturm on Mark Friedman to start the game. Mark Friedman was all over the place, getting hit in the face with a stick, getting hit in the face with a puck. So Brock Besser starts this off. Um, One-timer, beautiful. Hughes to Petey to Besser. Besser's seventh goal of the season. What I like about power play one with both Besser and Kuzmenko on it is you have two righties and you have three lefties and Hughes Pedersen and Miller. The other thing I like about the Canucks power play this year, it's not just Hughes up top, Miller on the left, Petey on the right, Horvat or Kuzmenko in the middle, and Besser at at uh, at the net front. Now all the guys are moving. There's always a guy cutting through the lane. There's always a guy 
uh, rotating with Hughes up top, just creating different angles, different looks. So Hughes isn't always stuck stationary trying to play power play quarterback. That's why you'll see Kuzmenko on the left dot. You'll see Miller on the left dot, or you'll see Besser on the left dot. So Besser puts it in one timer, one nothing, just two twenty three in. Then with Nico Sturm still in the penalty box, remember it was a double minor. As soon as you score one, as long as it's done within the first penalty, that gets taken off. But you still have a full two minutes to work with on the second of the double minors. This one is JT Miller. And this is a, I, I know they always credit the Sedins for with, because uh, they did it quite a bit. It's that one where you shoot it in from basically the neutral zone and you try and play a perfect angle off the end boards. And the Canucks have tried to do this three or four times already this season. And it's really cool to see the replay. But Miller kind of waves, hey, I'm here from the blue line. And then you have, actually it was Hughes to Besser. And Besser is the one who does a wonderful ricochet off of the end boards. Miller comes in, and uh, Kakanen played this pretty poorly. He went down too early. Miller basically had the puck on a stick for less than a second, and he put it up over Kakanen's left shoulder. And now, just four minutes into the game, the Canucks are up two to nothing. They are two for two on the power play. Besser and Hughes already have two points apiece. Then, just four minutes later, at even strength, Quinn Hughes scores, does one of his perfect, you know, we've been hearing about all these moves that he's making on the blue line. He dances around, dances to the right, dances to the left, and dances right up the middle and takes a wrist shot that gets through traffic. The Canucks have been really good, really good about getting traffic to the front of the net this season, sometimes layers of screens. And then it bounces off. It looks like a defenseman's hip, maybe and a, a bit of hip and then Lekkonen's glove. Whatever, it goes in. Quinn Hughes is kind of mystified. We're all happy. We're all saying, good job, Dom LeCision. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. And now, actually, I'll talk about that in a sec. And now it's 3 nothing after just eight minutes in the game. And then Besser, another power play before the period ends, gets another uh, goal. I can't remember this one. It says Besser from Kuzmenko and Miller. I'm just watching it real quick. Oh, that's right. That's right. It was a great... Oh, this is the beautiful hand-eye goal by... So Kuzmenko gets it down at the slots um, on, on one side of the goalie. And then what he does is he puts it across the crease. But it goes off, I believe, the San Jose defenseman. And in doing so, it goes up in the air. And then Besser, showing some great hand-eye coordination, bats the puck out of midair. Lekkonen, you can't really blame him on this one. And now it is 4-0. That's a, a Besser goal from Kuzmenko and Miller. So now the Canucks come out of the first period with three power play goals. So it's 4 nothing. And then already you're thinking, you're already not worried because there's a lot of talk. For those of you that are not in the Vancouver market, there's a lot of talk today about could San Jose actually get their first win of the season against the Canucks? And not because we wish ill will on our team. Believe you me, you can just tell how giddy I am. You can tell how I messed up the start of the stream how excited we are to have a team that's winning and dominating certain games, 8-1, 5-0, and now 10-1. But there's a lot of talk in Vancouver radio vlogs, just um, Twitter, could San Jose knock off Vancouver because that's the most Canucks thing to do. And I'm not talking about the Canucks this season, but the Canucks in recent years. But after 4-0, I think we're pretty confident that the Canucks were going to hold on to this one, especially, like I said, if San Jose plays like our Jay and Burnett pizza party brigade. So the second period starts just one minute in Ilya Mikheyev. There's a wonderful uh, snapshot, a great pass from Carson Soucy. 
And now it's five nothing. It's five nothing. Vancouver over San Jose. And it's great to see that how McKayev's third goal already. Remember, he missed the first two weeks of the season. So it's great to see McKayev being part of, of the scoring and part of the, the, the offense so early into, into his season. And then Kuzmenko kind of comes down the middle. A nice pass from Petey. Oh, by the way, I, I, I should really give more love to Petey on this play. This is the one where the puck went through the neutral zone. And you know when you see players kind of warm up and they have they they kind of balance the puck they bounce the puck on their stick and they try and you know use some finesse and bring it down bring it up and whatever it may be so that's what Pedersen did there I, I should give this way more credit so on this one the puck goes through the neutral zone PD while skating backwards stays onside somehow while finessing the puck onto a stick from midair and then down to the ground over to Susie on the left point and Susie with a nice cross crease pass to Mikheyev for that goal. So yes, Mikheyev gets a goal. Susie, really nice first assist, but Pedersen made that play with his brilliant hand-eye coordination. Then we get to the Kuzmenko goal, and that is the one where it's Pedersen up the middle to Kuzmenko. It'd be almost, I think it was a mini two-on-one, if I remember that. Kuzmenko wrist shots it, uh, wrist shot pass Kakinen, and then just because of Kuzmenko's momentum and with the way Kakinen was sliding over, uh, Kuzmenko um, brushes, he didn't hit him, Kuzmenko's not a dirty player, brushes Kakin in, in the head. Scores, probably feels bad. It's 6 nothing now. It's not even halfway through the game. Checks on Kakinen. It's weird. While the Canucks are celebrating around Kuzmenko, they're kind of all checking on Kakinen. And none of the San Jose Sharks players, at least immediately, jump into the frame to check on their own goalie. Maybe they couldn't see him. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they think about the pizza that they weren't going to get. But uh, it was nice to see that Kuzmenko in, in a show of sportsmanship. And then whether it was because he got his bell rung or because he basically let in six goals in 28 minutes of play, Kakinen was out and then and then Mackenzie Blackwood was in. Who, by the way, Demko had never lost to the Sharks, but Blackwood had never lost to the Canucks. So you kind of wonder if, if the coach knew about that and if they should have started Blackwood from the very start. Then four minutes after that, it was Sam Lafferty on a wraparound and it wasn't a clean wraparound. Lafferty being very impressed with the speed, already the third goal uh, for him also comes around the comes around the, the left side of the, the goal, the left left side of the goalies, wraps around the back, and he doesn't get everything on it. So he doesn't even go try and short side. The puck actually skirts uh off of a stick, but it goes off, I think it was Ferraro's skate, and then past the goalie. And now it's seven nothing. Hughes gets another assist there. So that's four, makes that four points for Hughes on the night. And then five minutes later, before the San Jose Sharks can escape, only being down a touchdown, it's a two-point converted touchdown because Pia Suter gets his first goal in the season, a nice two-on-one. Actually, it was a three-on-one, now that I think about it. And Quinn Hughes looks off the defenseman and then puts a perfect pass for all Hughes' great skating, his great uh, hockey IQ, his instincts, his shot that he's been working on. He's Remember, he's such a good passer. So then he puts the puck on Suter's stick. All Suter had to do was one-time it, pass, pass Blackwood for his first goal of the season. And you can kind of see Suter kind of look up to the heavens, almost uh, thanking God, thanking the hockey gods, or just asking what took so long. So Suter has his first goal of the year. Hughes has his fifth point of the night. And now it's 8 nothing. So the Canucks, they, they're, they're, very, they're very consistent. They score four in the first period, and then they score four in the second period. And then the third period, really, all you're thinking about is 
are the Canucks going to get to nine and match San Jose's goal total for the entire season up until that point? And is Thatcher Demko going to get his shutout? Well, one of those two things happens. First, there's another power play. And this time, um, I, I think they put out, if I remember, it was this power play or a different one where they put out guys like Stadnika and Beauvillier and Suter and Hronik. And I think uh, Susie was on there probably because it was, yeah, it was the very end. That's why they had two defensemen on there. So it was the very, I think that power play started, uh, it might've been Garland, Beauvillier, Suter, um, Stednika and, and Hronik. Then Susie comes on for the last 20 seconds because you like to have two defensemen on when the power play ends. But before it ends, it's Beauvillier um, who puts the puck in uh, a slap shot off a pass from Susie. Susie was uh, really good from an assist standpoint tonight, finding finding open men. And then Hronik gets another assist, which is which is awesome. And Beauvillier, in his 500th career game, scores his first goal of the season. And remember, Beauvillier, was he the centerpiece of that Bo Horvat trade? I don't know. We got three pieces. A uh, draft pick that went for Philip Hronik, which I think was a good trade. Then Aturatu, our prize prospect. And of course, our own Bo now, and Anthony Beauvillier. And he gets his first goal of the season. Then later, Garland Beauvillier doing some good work. That third line is probably the one that's been the least noticeable for the Canucks in Suter, Garland, and Beauvillier. But then Garland does some really good work in the offensive zone, um, goes towards the net and finds Beauvillier across across crease pass. And then Beauvillier puts a wrist shot behind behind Mackenzie Blackwood for his second of the game. And now it's 10-0. So the Canucks are up 10-0. And in one game, their 10 goals outscore the San Jose Sharks nine goals in their 10 games. But San Jose says, we don't want to be outscored 10 to nine, even though the sample size is one game for the Canucks and 10 games for us. They score with four minutes left on a power play. And it's funny. It was Zetterlin who scores. And who was in the box when that happened? It was Quinn Hughes. Yeah, Quinn Hughes. What a, what a goon, eh? Quinn Hughes had six penalty minutes and only five points. I cannot believe that Quinn Hughes had more penalty minutes then points tonight. That to me is a totally, total tier three B player. Again, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Dom Lecision did a player rankings, player tiers article at the start of September. He ranked uh, Hughes in the bottom part of tier three. So not tier one, not even tier two, not even the top half of tier three, but the bottom half of tier three. Then all Canucks fans are of course mad. Hughes starts the season so well, named captain and starts the season really well. And that was, you know, not including tonight's game. Then before tonight's game, Dom walked it back a little bit, but then he walked it forward again because he tried to explain that he had he was ranked in tier two, but it was others that convinced him to knock him down a bit. And he also tried to justify some of his rankings in comparing Hughes's play over the past three years. I didn't get too. I was having some fun on Twitter tonight, but I didn't get too mad about it. But it certainly got a lot of Canucks fans mad. So I just kind of joked around tweeting saying, I hope that Dom underrates and underranks all of the Canucks players prior to next season. Okay, but that's enough about me. That's enough about Dom. Zetterlin scores. And then Demko basically motions to motions to the ref with his glove. I thought at first he was saying his glove hand was being inferior, but no, he motions with his glove. And then he starts, he wasn't knee slapping because it was so funny, although it was. He starts brushing his pads showing, hey, I got interfered with. So then you see Talkit, you, you saw Mike Yo on his little secret service, little you know little microphone wristband there, talking to their video coaches. And then you see Talkit 
kind of look at Demko almost with a pain look in his eye saying, I'm sorry, bud, but I'm, I'm not going to challenge this. So what's really funny is, so they don't challenge it and the Canucks win 10-1. If they do challenge and it's found that there was no goalie interference, then San Jose gets another power play and maybe, maybe they get to 11 goals on the season. But by not challenging, they're, they're conceding the goal. They're, they're conceding that it's not worth it. So, you know, even in the game over chat, we were all joking around, are they going to challenge this or not? So earlier chat, I asked you, um, did you feel bad for San Jose? My next question I'm going to ask you, even though I'm not going to read any of your responses, at least not on the, not on the stream, is I'm going to ask you, do you think that Rick Tockett should have challenged that goal? So my question to you is, do you think that Rick Tockett should have challenged that late San Jose goal? Start putting it in the chat. We'd love to know what, you, what you're thinking there. And yes, so the game ends 10-1. And, and I, I greedily wanted them to challenge that because I have Thatcher Demko in two hockey pools where you get bonus points if you get a shutout. So obviously I, I had confidence that he was going to get the shutout for the last four minutes, hopefully, um, as long as Quinn Hughes didn't take another another penalty and then I, I was hopeful that they were going to challenge that it would get reversed and then I would get three bonus points in both of those pools really really quickly 10 to 1 like I said the other stats you need to know Canucks go 4 for 5 on the power play and they go 2 for 3 on the penalty kill shots were 33 to 31 for Vancouver and then the hits were about equal San Jose had a few more block shots and you just read through the stat line at the Vancouver Canucks you have five points for Quinn Hughes. You have three points for Besser, Miller, Pedersen. Two points for Beauvillier, Lafferty, and Kuzmenko, and Susi, and Hronik. And one point for Friedman, Mikheyev, Suter, Garland. The only players not to get points tonight were Niels Hoglander, Phil DiGiuseppe, and Tyler Myers and Ian Cole. But Tyler Myers had the best plus-minus rating of all defensemen. He was a plus four. And the last thing I'll say about tonight's game, the ice time. This was good. You, you don't have to burn your stars out, run them, run them down on a night like tonight. No player, no forward had more than 20 minutes. Suter actually had the high. He is 1942. Lowest was DiGiuseppe at 1124. Likely because DiGiuseppe doesn't get any power play time. So all Canucks forwards had between 11 and a half minutes and 19 and a half minutes, which is great to see. And on D, guess what? Only Ian Cole. Ian Cole was the, the minute muncher for the defenseman. He had 21 minutes. Everyone else had fewer than 20 minutes, including Quinn Hughes at 18.20. That's because six of them, he was in the penalty box. And Philip Hronick at 19.30. So good coaching by Rick Tockett. Obviously, looking at the two big games at home coming up. You have the Dallas Stars on Saturday. You have the Edmonton Oilers on Monday. And that's where the Canucks need to look ahead to now. Not that they're looking past this game, but but uh, I'm really glad they came out and and they they didn't take their foot off the gas pedal. Like I said, they're 7-2-1 now. <clears throat> Second place in the Pacific Division. One point up on the Red Hot LA Kings, who they keep winning as well. And then... <coughs> Six points back on Vegas with one game in hand. So I love all the chat that's happening. I love that there's over 200 people in here. So there's my mid-show reminder to you to subscribe to SDPN, 
to like this video and to keep keep it positive, keep it friendly in the chat. And a night like tonight is is a night where I, I feel good that I've been championing this positivity, not just for this season, for, for the past 10 seasons. Sometimes if I felt like I was one of the only ones. Okay, friends, for my second part of the show, I'm just going to spend a few minutes on coaching. And in particular, of course, Rick Tockett. And I'm, I must admit, when the Canucks, when there were rumors back in like November and December of 2022 that they were going to replace Bruce Boudreaux with Rick Tockett, I must admit, I didn't like it because I didn't, A, I didn't know much about Rick Tockett. I just know that he had a losing record in Arizona. I didn't know much about the teams that he coached in Arizona, if they had, if they're good, if they're bad, if they're rebuilding, whatever. I just knew he had a losing record. Um, and I just knew that I liked Bruce Boudreaux. And not just the Boudreaux bump at the end of the 21-22 season, but um, yeah, it was a rough start, obviously, to last season. But the fans still liked Bruce Boudreaux. And then the fans, I think, in Vancouver really thought that maybe Boudreaux was getting... Uh, was not getting a fair shake by Rutherford and Alvin. So it was a weird time to be a Canucks fan. And Canucks fans in here can probably relate to this about a year ago, is you still wanted to cheer for the team. You still wanted to cheer for Boudreaux, but the results obviously were not on the ice. And we didn't know it's because if our players were bad or if it was uh, a disconnect between Boudreaux and the players or if it's a higher up disconnect between the management and Boudreaux. And then Thatcher Demko gets hurt early in December. The Canucks don't have any salary cap to replace him. They're already out of playoff spot. So basically, they tried to go the longest time with Spencer Martin and Colin Delia. We saw how that worked out. JT Miller was having meltdowns on the ice. We had some off-ice shenanigans as well. And it was just a really, really tough year to be a Vancouver Canucks fan. But then Rick Tockett comes in after Christmas. And the Canucks play well under Rick Tockett. In fact, ending the season, uh, their their portion under Rick Tockett over 500. They say, okay, maybe he had an easier schedule. Maybe, you know, a, a lot of people, for every time the Canucks won, they're complaining that they would lessen their lottery odds. And I get all that. We don't have to revisit that. But then we knew that coming in this season, it's just going to be Rick Tockett's team. It's going to be his training camp, his preseason, his way of coaching. All, all the words we kind of make fun of, his structure, his systems, all those things. And we're saying, okay, no excuses. The Canucks have to have a good start to the season. Not the 0-5 and 2. They were out of it by by the middle of November already last year. Just think of how bad Calgary is doing this year. We were worse last year. So a bad start last year. And we were saying all the same things. Petey and Hughes got to play very well. Demko's got to stay healthy. Our penalty kill's got to be good. Philip Ronit's got to do something because we gave up so much to get him. Uh, and it was all these things that we were saying, this has to happen, this has to happen, this has to happen, this has to happen. Well, guess what, Canucks fans and hockey fans? I should stop saying that. This isn't my stream. There's this more than Canucks fans in here. But we're all Canucks fans tonight, I think. All those things have happened. Hughes is a Norris Trophy candidate. Elias Pettersson is second in league scoring. Thatcher Demko was at four minutes away from getting his second shutout in only seven starts. Our power play is deadly. Our penalty kill is better. I'm not, I'm not willing to say that they're amazing. The penalty kill is better and we're healthy. We're healthy for the most part. 
And you look at the way, I'll get back to talking, you look at the way the Canucks built their team. Every single acquisition during the off season or the start of the season was geared towards penalty killing, structure, smart players who can play defense. Cole, Susie, Suter, Bluger, who we haven't seen yet, Lafferty, and Casey DeSmith. He's such an upgrade over over Martin and Delia. So I just named six guys already, the six new players for this team that, and, and I, I count Philip Hronik in there as well because he only played four games last season. So that's seven bonafide NHLers, seven guys except for DeSmith who are starting every night who've made our team and Bluegrass hasn't played yet. So I guess it's only five. My argument's getting weaker and weaker as I go. But you can see how there's so much, the Canucks are so much tougher to play against. They play with smart players, structure, and their penalty kill is much better, which was their Achilles heel last season. So let's get back. And a lot of that has to do with coaching. The way that they're coaching the penalty kill, the way that they've changed the way they run the power play. And Rick Tockett and the Sedins have been a big part of that. But the one thing I want to talk about Rick Tockett uh, before I get to all you guys in the chat, and I, I know there's a lot of you in the chat tonight. There's 200 of you, which is amazing. Actually, not all of you are in the chat. You know what I mean. I'm so excited. I love what Rick talk. I love two things I want to talk about Rick Tockett um, that happened in the past basically 48 hours. Now, remember I said that I wasn't sure about Rick Tockett's means. I wasn't sure if he was a good coach. And when he started to talk to the media and talked about he doesn't want to seem to be soft, I think he said that in like the, the, the Canucks second or third game last season. And he, he, he hinted at it again after the Philly game. And he's a no-nonsense guy. He's not the most eloquent public speaker, but he means what he, he says what he means and he means what he says. So to me, that's a good communicator. Again, he says what he means and he means what he says. So when he's standing there after a game or after a practice, a game, win or lose, he's being very honest. I did this because of this. I didn't like this, so I did this. Or I really love the way that we are doing this. And all you have to do is look at the JT Miller episode from last game. We know that he took a double minor. One of them was an unsportsmanlike. And then he took another high sticking minor. And then he wasn't put out for power play one. And he was benched for the last four minutes of the second period. Then we found out later that him and Tockett talked over the second intermission. They apologized to each other. I haven't gotten confirmed that they hugged it out. But he comes out, starts the third period like his line with Besser and PDG always do. And then he scores a goal on the first power play opportunity of the third period on a power play that he drew with his hard work. So, and I, I don't think I'm uh, over-exaggerating or, or, or hyperbolizing when I say this. If the Canucks somehow lost that game against Nashville, and if it came out that JT Miller and Rick Tockett did not smooth it over, and God forbid the Canucks lost tonight, but even without counting tonight's game, some could say, uh-oh, here we go again. Here we go with the Canucks and it's going to start to unravel. But instead, they nipped it in the bud. They hashed it out right away. Miller played his regular minutes in the third period. And then Miller and Tockett both addressed it yesterday or after the game. Tockett did, then Miller yesterday. And boom, it's done. And I think maybe by next week already, we're not even talking about it anymore because it was such a non-issue. And I think it speaks to the maturity of JT Miller the speech of the maturity of this market, of course, the Canucks playing well, that has a that helps with it. And it definitely speaks to the maturity of Rick Tockett. And I'm not saying this would it wouldn't have happened under Bruce Boudreaux or Travis Green, but because of Rick Tockett's no-nonsense approach, he 
focused on the problem and he addressed it right away and they're fine. And then guess what? Now they could focus on tonight's game, making sure that it was not a trap game, making sure that somehow San Jose didn't get their first win of the season against us. And you saw it. Yeah, sure. There was one shift at the very start of the game where it looked a bit antsy. I think they got a couple shots on Demko, or at least a couple shot attempts. But as soon as Sturm took that double minor, the Canucks were off to the races and they did not even look back. So all to say, you know, there's a lot of talk in the Vancouver market with the Canucks hot start. Who's going to be a front runner for a year-end award? Is it going to be Demko for the Vesna? Maybe. Is it going to be Hughes for the Norris? Perhaps. Is it going to be PD for the Hart or the Selkie? A lot of competition. Or is it going to be Tockett for the Jack Adams Award? To me, that's the no-brainer. Uh, because really, you only have to go against half the league. You're not going to award the Jack Adams to a, a coach that's uh, that has a losing record or not making the playoffs. So already, you've eliminated half the, the coaches. And the really good coaches, like John Cooper and those guys, they never win it because that Jack Adams Award usually goes to... I'm not saying Tock is not a good coach. It's quite the opposite. But it usually goes to the coach that exceeds expectations based on what happened last year or the roster he has. And I think we could agree that right now the Canucks are one of, if not the biggest surprise of the first month of the season. And you have to point to coaching. And there's Adam Foote, there's Sergei Gonchar, there's Mike Yo, there's Henrik and Daniel Sedin. But at the top, putting all those guys together, preaching structure and systems is Rick Tockett. So we'll take that as Canuck Clay's Rick Tockett appreciation rant or post or soliloquy. But um, I'll admit, I wasn't sure about him when he came in. And now I'm thrilled with the way that the Canucks have started. And 10 games in, now we are already one-eighth of the season done. So when we were eight games in, we were 10% done. Now we are 12.5% done. And we are sitting at five games over 500. I'll just do this math for you very quick. You need about to be 12 or 13 games over 500 to make the playoffs. 94, 95 points. Let's just say 94 points. So you got to be 12 games over 500 because 94 minus 82, 82 games, that's 12. So there's your, your 12 games over 500. If there are six months in the season, you basically have to go two games over 500 every month. October, November, December, January, February, March. Don't count April. So there, that's six months times two games over 500. There's your 12 games over 500. The Canucks are already five games over 500. So you follow my math, they only have to finish seven games over 500 in the final 72 games of the season. Seven games over 500. So they could go, whatever the math is, 35, 28, and 10 or whatever, whatever it is. They only have to, and when you don't count, when you count overtime and shootout losses, they actually don't have to win 50% of their games if they're picking up single points. I'm just showing you that it's so much better to be in the position that they're in right now than, than um, a team like Calgary or Edmonton is. Although Edmonton, I think I expect to come on. Calgary, I don't. Sorry, Peter. And sorry, Audi. So yes, don't forget, the Canucks just got to finish seven games, play seven games over 500 for their final 72 games. I'm trying to do that math in my head. Is that 37, 30? Yeah, any any combination of some. So 37, 30, and 5 gets you 79 points to add to the 15 we have already, and there's 94 points. So imagine 37, 30, and 5, 36, 29, and 7. 
any of those combinations gets us into the playoffs. All right, that's enough math. And I'm the one who failed accounting. We are, what time, what are we in? We're like 40 minutes in or something like that, right? Yeah, we're about 40, 35 minutes in. And now it's time for you. So there's a lot of you in here. I will not, I'll try and do some of the questions justice, but it is now time for the SDPN game over presser. So get your comments into, into the chat. There's 210 of you in here. I don't know what you guys are doing. Like it's, it's 11 o'clock at night. It is 2 a.m. back east and a different time if you're overseas. But I appreciate that all of you are in here sticking with me. Uh, that was a really rough start to the stream. I got way too excited to start. Maybe I felt a little bit of pressure, whatever, but I, I, I kind of buckled like the San Jose Sharks. But I'm in it to win it now. I feel good. And let's go for the next five or 10 minutes with some of your questions. RK Link says, can we address the fact that the best plus minus in the top 12 players among the eight who aren't Canucks is plus three and the four Canucks in the top 12 are plus nine, plus 13, plus nine, and plus eight. Yes, plus minus isn't the best stat, but I'd rather be on the plus side than the minus side. RK Link, I did not know that. And that, that you're going to get that when you're winning games 8-1, 5-0, and 10-1. Yes, Zabuza, I did see that they showed the kid who said, this is my first Sharks game, looking very sad, 8-0, second intermission. I feel bad. I think he should go again and and then say, this is my first, and then put the actually the opposition team on a sign. I think that would be much better. Does Talkit have a similar coaching style as Vigneault did? Fangirl, I, I wouldn't say that. I'd say Vigneault really preached offense, and he really liked the players to go. Um, maybe that had to do with the talent that was on that team. I think Talkit, uh, although Vigneault was a good structural coach, from what I remember, um, yeah, I, I think Talkit is probably a little bit tougher. They're both vocal. Um, Talkit had more success as a player, so maybe a little bit, but I, I'm not sure how good that comparison is, to be honest. Serve 2 a.m. where you at? Wow, you're the MVP. Jason Lim says, we are planning the parade route. Hey, it's just starting Steveson, right outside my house, Steveson Highway. I won't give you the cross street just in case you guys all come over, but yes, Steveson Highway right here in Richmond. Party, do I think there was interference on the Sharks goal? You know, to be honest with you, I didn't get a good look at the replay. I know that Demko was up near the top of his crease. Um, I truly think if there was, that that Yo and Tockett would have would have challenged it because they wouldn't worry about that second Sharks power play. They wouldn't worry about, I think, and they would have wanted Demko to get a shutout because it's so much better if you get a shutout. Um, but I haven't heard any post game or anything and I have to watch the replay. So it didn't look that egregious. Like Demko was the only one who, who sort of half-heartedly said there was interference. None of the Canucks defensemen were upset or anything like that. So I'm leaning towards no. Hey, Rios, nice to see you. Of course, I remember you. Sarah says, I'm saving money to buy playoff tickets and buy a new shirt because you sweat through your old one on my own stream. <laughs> um, Tristan, I don't think Pedersen's going to get to 120 points. Oh, but what's he at now? 17? Is Pedersen at 17 points right now? I guess that's not that far off, actually, that pace. I don't know. I, I just think as the year goes on... No, he's at 19 points. Excuse me. 19 points in, in 10 games. Okay, this one I can't do in my head. 19 divided by 10 times 82. Okay. So he's at 160-point pace right now. <laughs> yeah, is that right? 19 divided by 10 times 82. Yeah, he's at 156-point pace. So I guess 120 isn't out of the question. 
Yeah, you know, I, I admit, I, I didn't know if he would even break 102 points. Um, maybe 115, 120 seems very reasonable because he's already one-sixth of the way there, which is pretty crazy to say, in only one-eighth of the season. I do know games get tighter and tougher in January and February in the lead-up to the playoffs. But if the Canucks have a playoff position to play for, they might be pushing really hard. Yeah, so may, now I've just convinced myself, I think 120 points is not out of the question. And um, that's a really, really good question, actually. 120 points. By the way, I said on my own stream last night, if PD keeps this up, I could see him being a $100 million player. I could see him commanding 12.5 times eight. Tell me if you agree with me in the chat or you think that's too much. You think I'm crazy. But 12.5 times eight, that's 100 million. That that could happen. That could happen. All right, we've got a few more questions. Actually, there's a lot here. <laughs> Ricky says, should have started game over Vancouver after the first period because the game was indeed over. Very nice. Thoughts on the three penalties that Quinn took? Sarah, um, I don't... You know, uh, because he had five points in all seriousness, I, I don't have a problem with them. That there, there were weaker penalties for sure, but you got to think. But from the ref standpoint, they're trying to uh, throw a bone to San Jose, so maybe one or even two of those aren't called in in a regular closer game. But I think with score effects and everything, um, they're looking to to help the Sharks out a little bit, a little bit. Erwin says, does this strong start lock in Pedersen? Tough to say. Really tough to say. Um, he might want to see this, this continue for the entire season, but I certainly want us to be 7-2-1 and one, then 2-7-1 and one for sure. Do I think Joshua gets back in the lineup? Uh, Gerald, it depends if they think Dallas is a big, tougher team. I like the way Stadnika played. I thought that fourth line was pretty good today, Stadnika, Lafferty, and Huglander. Um, so I would not be surprised if Joshua doesn't play next game, but it's nice to have that flexibility for sure. I do I do not think the Oilers miss the playoffs. I think they sneak into a fourth spot. I'm not sure how long Anaheim can keep this up. I could see it being some combination of Vegas, Vancouver, LA, and Edmonton that make it from the Pacific. Jason Lim is saying, every 12 years we make the cup finals, 82, 94, 2011, losing on each occasion, so 2023. Okay, so 12 years since our last one. Uh, they're... Okay, so Kaya May wants the, the Stanley Cup parade started in Surrey, which is a, for those of you not from the Lower Mainland, a different suburb of Vancouver. But I'm, I'm going to hold, hold down for Richmond, for sure. Uh, Slippery Gas, Sharks fan here. Thoughts on our chances to win over under 10 games a season? Over, but ever so slightly. I think you're going to win 11. I think you're going to win 11. <laughs> oh, man, that, that's tough. That's tough. I wonder if the coach is safe or maybe... Maybe they're just playing for Macklin Celebrini already. Already. All right, guys. I'm just going to go for a couple more minutes. Just looking. Love all the chat in the in the chat. But I'm just looking for any specific questions for me. You guys are all talking about PD getting paid. <laughs> Puck guy, 160 points. Yeah, they they made a they made a comment on the on the broadcast tonight that the Hughes brothers combined have more points than all the San Jose's roster combined that is not good okay a lot of you guys are saying 11 million dollars and not 12 jason's calling me pd's new agent yeah i'll take that i'll take that <laughs> 
And a lot of you guys saying, just sign PD now. What is, what's the chart for your parade route by Connor Bedard's? Yeah, we'll start in, we'll start in Richmond and we'll walk all the way to North Van, North Shore and walk right by Connor Bedard's house. And then we got uh, Pardeep saying Boston versus Canucks finals. We will get revenge. Yeah, Boston's it's a surprising start for sure. Marcus says, can we sign Alex Edler? Not sure if we need any help on our left side right now, to be honest with you, between Hughes, Cole, and Susie, given Tockett's penchant for not playing players on their offhand. I think it's the right side we need help on. I really think they're trying to move Connor Garland, free up $1.5 million so they can sign Ethan Bear later for this season. Okay, friends, we're at the 45-minute mark. I got to get going. I got I have my biggest work event of the year um, this weekend. And I say that because for Saturday, a game over Vancouver first, it's not going to be me. It's not going to be Kaya. It's not going to be Sam. It's not even going to be our newest co-host, Parker. Because in a weird scheduling snafu, all four of us are busy. Either at the game, Kaya, either working, Clay, either out of town, Sam, or... uh, Previous commitment, Parker. Previous commitment made even before we brought him on as a co-host and we assigned him games randomly. So, this Saturday, you will be blessed with the presence from Game Over Edmonton, Avery. Avery is going to do our Saturday game. So don't get confused when you see Avery hosting Game Over Vancouver, even though he's one of the three capable Game Over Edmonton hosts. So Avery will be hosting Game Over Vancouver after Vancouver Dallas so come, tune in, support Avery. He's a little nervous already, trying to fill our shoes. I, I think he'll be just fine, but he's a little nervous. He feels like it's enemy territory because the Monday after that, game over head-to-head when it's Edmonton-Calgary, uh, sorry, Edmonton, what am I talking about? Edmonton-Vancouver. It's going to be our own Kaya May hosting because it's a home game, Vancouver. And Avery is going to be the Edmonton host coming on. So I think Avery signed up to do the Saturday game when he knew that none of us could do it because he wants to pre-scout the Vancouver Canucks. So uh, uh, some very, very sneaky maneuvering by Avery. So Saturday night, come support Avery as he hosts Game Over Vancouver after the conclusion of the Canucks-Stars game. Once again, thanks to all of you. This was a massive show tonight, not because of me, but because the Canucks had a massive win, 10-1. to Thank you for sitting through my tech troubles at the very start of the show Thank you for allowing me to share my pizza party story from 1990. Yes, I was only 16 years old and or already 16 years old. But most importantly, thank you for the spirit that you brought to the chat. Thank you for the wonderful questions, the wonderful dialogue. It's a great time to be a Canucks fan. It's a great time to be a host of Game Over Vancouver. And we are so grateful for your support across the entire SDPN network. So make sure you subscribe to SDPN, this YouTube channel. Make sure you like the video on the way out. There's 60, uh, 68. I want to get that to 70 likes. Uh, so let's get that to 70 likes now. And if you're in the liking or subscribing mood, I'm Canuck Clay, Clay Emo. I'm Canuck Clay right here on YouTube. You can give me a follow as well. So until Saturday night, where it's game over Vancouver with guest host Avery, thank you for being here. We always appreciate you and we never take you for granted so as i like to do on my solo streams i will end you off with a bad dad joke but there's nothing bad about the canucks 10-1 performance tonight 
Every morning, I announce to my entire family that I'm going to go jogging, but then I don't go. It's a running joke. Good night, everyone, and go Canucks go.